I'm Mel Kettle, and you're listening to This Connected Life, the show where connected leaders share their experience, values, and strategies that have helped them become more connectable so they achieve success in life and business. Welcome back to This Connected Life. I'm your host, Mel Kettle, and my guest today is the fabulous Leanne Hughes. Leanne is the host of the excellent First Time Facilitator podcast, um, which I was a guest on such a long time ago. I'll put the number in the show notes. I can't remember what number it is, but I met Leanne, I think, through social media. And um, she's an international facilitator, a speaker and a coach who loves to create unpredictable workshop experiences that predictably work. We have bonded over a love of food and of travel. And we were just saying before we started um, recording that the biggest challenge for us is that we both work to save money to travel overseas and now we can't for a while. So welcome, Leanne. Thanks so much for joining me. Mel, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. Just any opportunity to chat with you is a good one. So thank you for inviting me on your show. Oh, it's so lovely. We've been trying to set a time for this for, I reckon, a year nearly, and we finally got here. (laughs) (laughs) We made it. (laughs) So my first question that I like to ask all guests is, what does connection mean to you? I love this question. I might even throw it back to the first time we met because I actually remember it. You really surprised me, Mel. Isn't it funny when you meet certain people, you just think, I don't know if we're going to have a great conversation. Like you have that sort of bias just based on purely, I don't know what's going on, that that really quick sort of first few seconds of judgment. And then you just blew me away, I think, in the first minute. And I'm like, I love Mel. I don't even know what it was that we were talking about, but something about your enthusiasm, the way that your eyes lit up. So when I'm thinking about this question of connection, it's always about how someone is making me feel. And it doesn't have to be a long friendship. I've had people that have made that impression in like while backpacking in Europe, right? It's just been that quick connection. But even now on Facebook, we're still friends. I haven't culled them because I remember how they made me feel. So I don't really know what it is. I think it's more about, I feel like I've been seen. I, I feel like that's it. It's like they get me and there's no real barrier to, to go past because we immediately just have this thing. And it can happen in the short term. Sometimes it's developed in the long term when I, the first impression hasn't been great, but we've developed that connection over time. But yeah, it's just how someone makes me feel. Yeah. I remember now how we did meet it was at Howard Smith Warps at a Thought Leaders yeah. social thing ages and ages ago, maybe just after that had opened. And um, yes. and I remember walking away from that meeting thinking this is someone I'm going to be friends with because you just impressed me so much as well. I don't even know what with everything you said and just with the passion that both of us brought to the conversation. I agree. I, I don't even know what it was. Like I couldn't articulate what it was, but I think it's, yeah, it was more that passion, that enthusiasm, and it just it just created some type of energy. And I don't, like, honestly, I went there to network, but I think I only met you and that was mm. fine. <laughs> that was absolutely fine. I'm so happy that I met you that evening. I, I met you and I met somebody else. And then I met this guy who was such a, a wanker, so full of himself, told me about three times in the I don't know, first three minutes, how much money he'd made the previous year. And I'm just like, oh, how, how fast can I back away? And then I left. <laughs> just moonwalking out of the conversation. <laughs> Very, Very subtle. The drink. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, I remember what it was. I think you were the only one that was drinking beer with me. And it was oh. like, a, it was a school night. And I'm like, yes, because I felt like it was quite professional. I didn't really know anyone. Some people were on like soda waters. It was the new year. It was actually, yeah, it was over the past the new year. And everyone was doing like, 
being really healthy. And then you and I were drinking, like throwing back beers. I was like, I love, I love Mel. <laughs> I think I drink beer about once a year as well. Oh, so funny. <laughs> it doesn't agree with me, but it was a really hot day and I'm walking yeah. out. <laughs> That's oh, right. Too funny. <laughs> I love the Brene Brown quote, which you alluded to. True connection is to do with how you make people feel and how you show up to them in a real and authentic way totally butchered that hope she never listens to this I'm sure she never will <laughs> I hope she does listen to it and reaches out that'd be great <laughs> to tell me how I've butchered yeah, she shoots you a tweet and you retweet that and be like oh my gosh Mel you've made it <laughs> you've made it way. anyway but it's nice to get launched <laughs> by someone like Brené thank you thank you <laughs> so what are some of the main events in your world that have shaped your current perspective around connection um, I've been thinking about this long and hard because when I think about careers and purpose, I think it also comes back to stuff that you that really stood out in your childhood. And so something happened to me when I was, I think it was about six years old, I went to a birthday party. And I remember when my parents picked me up after a few hours in the car on the way home, I was saying that was the worst birthday party I've ever been to because it was basically an event we just dropped off. There was nothing going on. There were no games. It was just sit around and watch the parents and the adults speak. And I guess my experience of birthday parties with my dad was we'd have structure, we'd have like do all these really cool surprises and everything else. And the work that I'm doing now is about creating like cool experiences, unpredictable moments. And it was funny as a six-year-old that was triggered for me, the fact that I was just so annoyed because there was no extra effort in that birthday party. So that was one thing. And then I think another big event was I had a quarter-life crisis, a QLC, when I was, yeah, about 25. I was working, uh, I was in consulting, working for Accenture, and it was just a joke. Everyone was comparing how long their hours were, very ego-driven, wasn't creative at all, very strict processes, which is great if you like that. Don't, definitely didn't like that. Yes, I had a QLC, and I ended up joining a company called Wicked Campers, and I was actually their global marketing person. My job was to create road trip videos traveling around Australia, New Zealand. But the job was great, but probably most importantly was the person, my leader that I was connected to, the owner of the company, and he was all about personal development. So he would give me Jim Rohn CDs and things to listen to. And that reminded me of how much I loved personal and self-development. So those probably two things, and it just got me connected into like, what do I actually want to do? That really sort of where, I guess, two pivotal moments where it came together for me. I think how early career choices or job choices are so critical and I've had a lot of people ask me for advice mm. about where they should go to work for their first job when they you know their first sort of career type job after uni or when they're sick of doing whatever they've been doing as a part-time job and I always say you need to make sure that you feel a genuine spark and connection with the person that you'll be reporting to because mm. they'll be the most important person to you in that job and if you don't feel that you can get to love them and trust them, then don't go there because they've got so much power and influence over you, whether they realise or you realise or not. Could not agree more with that, Mel. I reflect back on all the leaders and jobs that I've had and the best ones have been tied to the leader. Like Absolutely. Why I loved a job. Yep. On and paper, people, I mean, all the jobs looked good. Yeah. And people leave a job not because of the job or the work. They leave because of the people and the person and they stay longer than they often should because of the people as well. And, and I think that a lot of employers don't fully understand or realise the importance of the people in the job. Mm. And I think, you know, I'd love to think it's changing, but then I just keep hearing stories about people who are bullied or harassed or, 
pressured or, you know, so many negative things about the people that they report to and they try to have conversations with them and they're just belittled or blown off. Yeah, and there's a really good book out by Gallup. It was uh, 2018. It's called It's the Manager. Basically, they're saying with all the Gallup research that they've done over the years with employee engagement and all of that, the number one, the most critical relationship is the employee-employer relationship. So if you fix the manager relationship with the employee, you can fix your culture, you can fix engagement, you can fix everything. Just focus on that connection piece because it impacts everything, exactly what you've said. Yeah, and I think so many people are put into managerial roles or people leadership roles without having the relevant experience and without being given the relevant training that they need. And I certainly have been reflecting recently on the first job that I had where I managed staff. And I went into a fairly senior role managing six people and we had big budgets, massive expectations and outcomes that we needed to achieve. And I'd never, I had no idea how to lead these people. And so I just went with my gut and got a lot of it right, but got some pretty big things wrong as well. And I just think we could have been so much better as a team if I'd even had an hour of training. (laughs) I agree. I cringe and I think back to what I was like when I was a first leader. We'd have these, I thought, I'll do regular catch-up, so, you know, these Monday morning huddles. But do you know what, Mel? It was basically me just telling everyone what was on the to-do list for that week. That was it. It was like, this is what we're going to do. And there was no, right at the end, I was like, any questions? Oh my gosh, I reflect on that and think. And plus feedback, like I was treating them like my friends. I wanted to be liked. Then there were different standards. I didn't give feedback in time. It was just awful. It was an awful experience. I wish I could go back and do that again with the hindsight of what I know now. Yeah. I also, that was a job where I had really difficult client as well. And again, I wasn't given the support that I needed or the skills to manage really challenging, difficult people. And I was in my 20s and so... You know, I'd had some good life experience, but I'd never had such a challenging person in my world before. I think that makes a big difference. Yeah. I learned a lot from that experience and I've learned a lot about what not to do. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, up to that point of not being a leader, I was the type of person I'd get home from work and I could have a great night's sleep. But when once I became a leader, I got home and I was thinking, oh, what could I have done in that interaction? And I was overthinking things. I didn't feel comfortable. Yet I had to go to work and role model the leader. I put a lot of unnecessary pressure on myself because of that lack of training, lack of awareness on what to do. And also that desire to do the best you can. You know, I think never had I been so aware of what I didn't know as I was in that job. (laughs) Yeah. Plus you got that really tough client that you you just really in the sandwich, getting it from both ends. There's no sort of reprieve. Yeah, it was pretty grim. I went through a lot of people really quickly because of the pressure. Anyway, it was horrible. (laughs) (laughs) You mentioned as well unpredictable moments and how you create unpredictable moments. What do you mean by that? Well, I guess with the way that I design workshops is I try to think about what are people expecting from this and then I try to do it a little bit differently. So I just think about every single workshop or experience I've been through, training session and corporate, all of that. So how it usually starts is everyone grabs a seat, then the facilitator or trainer will come up the front and they'll spend some time introducing themselves. So that's an example. I'll take that and I think, how can I do that differently? So it might be when people arrive, I, you know, have a chat to them. When it starts, I'll go to the back of the room and get everyone just to stand up and talk to each other. 
sometimes it gets to a stage where I go a bit too far. I actually even forget to introduce myself. So I'm like, okay, remind me, I do have to do that. But it's just thinking about what are people expecting and how can I do the reverse of that to make them think, oh, wow, this is not going to be like every other experience. Because I guess the, the advantage is the brand of workshops, team activities is not a strong brand. People often go there and think this is a waste of time. Why am I even here? So it's actually using that bad brand and, and using it to sort of shake it up. I like that. I like how you always try to mix things up a little bit differently. What's the quirkiest thing that you've ever done in a workshop? <laughs> so my manager and I, we were, this is back when I worked for a mining organisation and we were invited to run a tool. It's called the team management tool for a group of, uh, it was like the strategic planning team. So their conference theme was reimagining the future. And I was thinking about the demographic, you know, because what basically the predictable thing to have done was to get there, introduce ourselves, introduce the report, talk it through. I'm thinking, no, 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 we've got to do something a little bit different. So I thought of the demographic, working in mining, it was about guys between the ages of 40 to 50. They'd all grown up on Star Wars. Reimagining the future, I thought, oh, there's a link here. So what we did at the beginning was I created a Star Wars introduction video, but I put them as the characters in it and was like, we're on a mission to, and yeah, it just had like, it was paying out some rival companies, calling them the, the, the rebellion and it was quite fun. And so we had like eight o'clock in the morning up the coast, lights off, the speakers, Star Wars comes on the screen and they were like, whoa. And then the whole presentation had like, you know, images of Yoda weaved through it as well. So it was taking a little bit of a risk. My company was, you know, that style guides and everything else, but I was like, let's not worry about it. It's an internal presentation and just something simple that was, that was fun. And they talked about it for years. I think that's the key, isn't it? If you want your what you're teaching and what you're educating people about to be embedded in their memory, you need to create a memorable experience so that they will remember about it. I remember, I know you're a big fan of Pat Flynn's. I love that. I do too. And I remember him talking about a keynote that he had to give years ago and he is obsessed with Back to the Future. And so he started out with the Back to the Future theme and he hired a DeLorean that he had driven on stage as a part of his opening keynote. And I just thought, what an amazing experience oh. for the people in the audience. Like, I, obviously, I wasn't there, but I remember hearing about it and thinking that's so quirky and different and you would never forget. Absolutely. Yeah, he does. Pat Flynn does some really cool things. I, I watched that DeLorean thing on YouTube because I wanted to see what it was like. It's awesome, Mel. you got to check it out. I have. I have. It's oh, nice. you have? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah and the yeah. other thing, he did a talk on uh, first impressions. Have you heard this one from Pat? And so he was walking on stage and he actually practiced like this epic falls where he actually like falls on stage and it's really embarrassing. And he goes, you don't have a second chance at making a first impression. How cool is that? Yeah, he's a pretty amazing guy. If any of you yeah. listening don't know him, then check him out. He mm. lives in San Diego and he's just amazing. He's got a couple of things. I've forgotten what his podcast is called. Smart Passive Income. But he's yeah. Yeah. doing a, he's live streaming on YouTube every single day. So for the last 100 days, he has shown up at 8 a.m. every day and done a live stream for an hour. Wow, that's impressive. Yeah. That's commitment. Yeah. yeah. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Okay. One of the things that we've not been able to do for the last couple of months has been run workshops and present in person. How have you been transitioning what you've been doing so that you can still provide amazing experiences at unpredictable moments when we're doing it through Zoom or some other sort of <laughs> online video conferencing tool? 
And I don't just mean the unpredictability of it all going into screaming no. because your power craps out. <laughs> that is not the unpredictability you want, but we've all been there, haven't we? Or like um, I had a friend that was actually locked out of her own Zoom call. She just got locked <laughs> out and couldn't get back in. It's like, oh, I'm hearing all these stories. I haven't had anything that tragic happen yet, touch wood. But I think it's an evolution and I'm still learning. So I guess my approach to this is every chance that I have when I hop on a, a webinar or a training session is I'm going to try something different. This can go well or not so well, but what I liken it to is I still think people are at this moment in time a little bit sympathetic if things do go wrong. It's like when you start at a new company, you've got like six months to just make a few mistakes, ask a few silly questions before you've got to be professional. So I'm still pushing it every time. I guess when I first started, I was probably doing the default option. I was just sharing slides on a screen. Now I'm really thinking about this. And the first question I ask myself is, why does this have to be live? Is it a pre-recorded thing where I'm, I'm the expert just sharing my knowledge? And if there's any reason I'm going live on a, a live webinar or a live training session, it needs because I want some feedback, I want some interaction, I want some engagement. So I'll just, I'll just like, I guess some, some simple things practical for your audience would be, I have like a cool welcome screen when people arrive, which is like, hey, welcome, we'll start soon. And I'll throw a question on there. Actually, Mel, I used your question the other day uh, for a workshop. So what are you binging on Netflix? Oh, I love it. <laughs> yes. So thank you. Mel, share that in the conversation that we had. So people are chatting. I've also got Spotify on. I'm sharing some music, get, creating that vibe. And then when I'm ready to start, I will switch all of it off, unshare, and it's just me straight to camera. Just for that dramatic, that's a bit of contrast for that effect. And then through, say, 60 minutes, I'm just switching in between how much I'm on camera, between the slides between chat and questions and polls. And I'll usually throw in a question like every, say, five or six minutes. So before I share content, I'll ask a question about it and then use the content to back up what people are saying or to pivot. I don't think it's too hard to create engagement. I think it's really about just remembering the reason why you're live is to get the involvement. Yeah, I completely agree. I ran a series of free webinars in the first couple of, I don't know, six weeks of COVID. And there was one where... Fortunately, I didn't have too many people sign up to it because I said to them, this entire webinar today is an experiment. I've got new content. I've got a new way of presenting. I've got new tech. I'm in a new space and it could all go horribly wrong, but bear with me because we're just going to have a play. Yeah. <laughs> and you're not paying for it. So if you don't like it, hang up. Yeah. <laughs> you won't be offended. <laughs> so fortunately, it went really, really well and I had some great feedback. But I think when you're just honest with people and you say, you know, and when you're doing a freebie, then there has to be a bit of quid pro quo. You can't expect mm. The audience can't expect it's all going to be amazing all the time because it is an opportunity to, to have a play. Um, yeah, but it was fun, and yeah, I that one of the thing I did with that one was I didn't show a single slide. It was just yes. me on camera the entire time, and so I just good. had a conversation and used the chat box. And the only thing I would have done differently would have been I would have put it into meeting mode and not in webinar mode. Okay, so that yep. we could have all seen each other. Um, but by the time I thought to do that, it was partway through and a bit late. So. Well, that's yeah. it. But now you know because, oh, you've, yeah. but, and that's the thing, you've actually got to get on and do it because you can try all you want in Zoom test sites and like watch other webinars, but it's not until when the camera's on, your live chat's happening, your brain is like really trying to sort of multitask. It's only then when you can really get to the stage where you can practice all this. I think it's the same as public speaking as well. It's like you can't get 
or, you know, riding a bike. You, you don't get great at riding a bike by watching other people or reading a book. You've just got to be in that environment where your cortisol levels are pretty high and you still have to deliver. Exactly. And the more you do it, the more comfortable you become and the better you become. As yeah. long as you, you know, take the learnings and the feedback in the spirit with which hopefully it's given. Good conversation around feedback, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and being kind to yourself, I think. I also liken it to when, like, in Australia, I can drive a car, no problem. I can do everything at the same time. But then I go to Canada, other side of the road. It takes a bit more time and I've got to be a bit slower. I think it's yeah. the same with moving from face-to-face to virtual. Yeah, the first time I drove in the US without a passenger in the car, I was shitting myself. (laughs) I was freaking out about it for about two weeks before I actually even picked up the hire car. Yeah. I just, I couldn't believe because I've spent a lot of time in North America driving on the other side of the road, but I'd always had somebody with me to remind me which side of the road I had to be on and which way to come out of car parks and which way to, you know, which lane to be in and giving me the directions. So to have to suddenly be responsible for all of that was really unsettling yeah I actually had a post-it note with like an arrow on the steering wheel just going just keep to this side kind of like what I do on my virtual workshops I've got like a post-it note on my camera like look here yeah 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 that's clever that's clever yeah said to me in order to look at the camera put a little photo of someone who you love next to the camera so your eye will them and I thought that's that lovely. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> or two arrows on post-it notes pointing into the light. <laughs> mm, yeah. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great hack. It is, isn't it? Yeah, it's clever. Mm. Do you have any other good hacks? I do. Actually, I had a, I was on a coaching call the other day and it was like, you know, an hour session, the last five minutes, ladies like, okay, so what are all your virtual hacks? It was like, oh my gosh. I actually just recorded a podcast episode about this. I'm trying to think of one. So a few things even I did before I start would be warming up your voice, yeah, getting used to the camera, framing your shot, hands. That's another thing. I think we forget. So you can have all the best facial expressions in the world, but it really makes a difference when you use your hands. And I posted a video on the flip chart, Mel, a guy called Mark Bowden in Canada. He talks about instead of using your hands to go out, you actually want to bring them in to maintain the energy. So actually framing your hands in the shot, it creates more energy like this rather than talking. On a big stage, you'd, you'd go quite wide. On your Zoom frame, you want to bring the energy in. So... Oh, that's so clever. Yeah, that's he based really it on like clever. some, it was like 1920s German filmmaking. They they just all about bringing the energy into the frame. Oh, I have to remember that. I like that. Mm. One of the things I always have to do is take off my bangle because otherwise it bangs mm. on the desk and it's really annoying. Yeah, and it's only like little things like that when you actually start. I guess the fact that you've done podcast episodes, you would have picked that up on that as well beforehand. Yeah, but when I do, well, I'm just taking it off because quite often when I record a podcast, I'm either in the same space as the person and we're doing it face-to-face or I'm standing up. But um, I'm sitting down at the moment and I could sense my bangle was banging. So I was like, okay, I'll just take that off. (laughs) There you go, you've learned on the go. I know, I know. How do you find collaborating and connecting with people on Zoom particularly when you don't know them and you need to leap into a really um, sensitive training or challenging conversation? Yeah, I've had a few of those over the last few months, you know, doing 360 feedback 
review, like giving someone feedback based on a report. We're also working with some high-powered executives who I've never met and just need help straight away with their presentations. Through to now, I'm collaborating with a guy in Singapore who I've never met and where it's been an awesome connection. So I've actually, it's, Mel, I've been so surprised. I was actually going to do a LinkedIn post about this in terms of the amount of connections I've made in the last three months has now overtaken like all those connections I had backpacking around Europe for two years. I am loving Zoom, Zoom in moderation, I shouldn't say. But how am I connecting with them? I just feel like, so not only through Zoom, I'll take the conversation like offline or move it to WhatsApp or do video calls just through the phone. So it's not only Zoom, it's more moving it to a relaxed environment. In terms of building up the rapport really quickly, I find that setting expectations beforehand. So for the 360 would be like 24 hours before saying, hey, this is what we're going to talk about. This is what to expect. Because I think there's some level of apprehension. Same with coaching clients. It's like, here are the things I'd like you to prepare beforehand. This is going to be the structure of how we run this. Because you don't, you want to, there's a model called SCARF and he talks about uncertainty. So people are really like, if they don't know what to expect when they jump into the call, much like a face-to-face workshop, they're going to feel a bit of threat. So you want to get into that reward state. I ran a strategy session last Friday. Prior to that, I actually filmed a video saying, hey, I'm Leanne, like just getting them used to who I was. So I guess the stuff that you do beforehand in prepping for your face-to-face, it's still relevant now. But I think, Mel, I mean, the simplest thing is the second you get on there, a big smile definitely helps. Yeah, I find it personally really easy to smile on camera. I think there's a lot of people who are still getting used to that. And I've had a couple of colleagues say to me, I've been told I need to turn all of my in-person training into the equivalent of Zoom. And then she burst into tears Mm. and said, I just don't know what to do or how to do that because it's such a foreign thing to her. But also she said, I love being in person. I get the energy from it all. And I don't think I'm, I don't know whether I'm, well, she said, I don't think I'll get that energy on Zoom. And I said, you'll get a different energy and you'll have to work a lot harder for it but there's still energy to be had, especially if it's in meeting mode and not in webinar mode. So for those who don't know the difference in meeting mode, you can see the faces of everybody else who's on the call with you because if they have their camera on, then their faces pop up. They're tiny, but there's faces. (laughs) And when it's in webinar mode, the only person whose face is on the screen is yours. And it's really, really different energy levels. Because when Mm. you're in webinar mode, as you know, you can feel like you're talking into a vacuum. Yeah, the most reassuring then, the thing I'm looking at is like how quickly is chat moving? That's my indicator. And I want to get it moving. So even when I have questions, I really want to, while I'm talking, still ensure that there's some chat happening and they're connecting through chat in some way. So asking a question like, hey, continue this on, like tell us a time when and keep that going. Yeah, because that's that's like the only indicator, right? Absolutely. I think it's true, yeah, because I, I am the same as that, that trainer. I, I, I was getting a bit, like, because I love the in-person experiences. But what I'm thinking of now is, oh, my gosh, like, I don't want this to sound like an ego thing, but if I can do this on Zoom and get engagement, how great will I be once I can get back into a face-to-face environment? Like, if you, you're right, you've actually got to provide your own energy. It's like your own cheerleader, your own, like, music playing. You've just got to give that all. And you're not getting that immediate feedback. But if you can do that in a quiet home to a camera imagine what the energy is going to be like when you're released into the world again but imagine also the opportunities that it provides because you know I want to break into the American market and the UK market and coming from Australia that's really hard to do but it's a lot easier now because clients over there won't have to pay airfares yeah so they'll save you know 10 grand on a business class flight in a heartbeat 
And so there's just, I think, tons more opportunity if you do get the online side right or if you make an effort to make it the best that you can. Yeah, and I think there's a conversation around timing that also pops up because a lot of people are like, oh, well, we've had one-day experience online. It's like you can't. Like I'm certainly not going to sit there for eight hours and watch someone present. So I would, yeah, I think I'd cut it right back. I was having a conversation the other day. We are talking about like the max, maybe 90 minutes and like frequent breaks and all of that. Yeah, Yeah. I did a two and a half day, what was a two and a half day in-person program and I was attending it and they converted it to four days online. Yep. And I don't know how they did it in two and a half days, but it was really intense and it was great. But I just got to the end of it and thought, I'm so exhausted. I've got, I can't, I couldn't do anything over the weekend because I'd spent four days staring at the screen. And I just think there has to be better ways of getting your messaging across and maybe it's pre-work or maybe it's just reducing your expectation of what can be achieved over that period of time. Yeah, I agree with all of that. Actually, one thing I did last Friday that was really different that I wouldn't usually do because I'm not really known for being mindful or calm is I I got a friend in the States. She has a podcast. It's called um, Centred in the City. So she has like mindfulness and I got her to record a 10-minute meditation for the group, we we're doing like a six-month strategy session. So she she created a visualization for them, and I played it. I said, "Look, turn off your video and audio. Go to a quiet room and just listen to this and come back." So it's I think that was a way of getting people connected while getting away from the screen, but also keeping it on task. Which I found I was like, "Well, this is a cool solution. Actually, I should talk about it on the podcast." Um, I really like the sound of that because it's it's easy to say to people. You know, you've got 90 minutes for lunch, go outside for a walk, mm. sit down and have a meal, step away from the screen. But if you're in a multi-day online training program, you still have to respond to your emails. You still have yep. to maybe complete some work. You still have exactly. other things to do that require a screen. So giving someone a task that forces them to step away even just for 10 minutes, I really like that. That's really clever. Mm. And it really did ground everyone. It was like... Even me, who's usually just like high-paced and not into that. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it was really nice. And I just find as well when you're on a a full day or a multi-day training program or workshop program online, the breaks just seem to go really, really quickly. I found that too. Mm. Yeah, like because we had um, another one that I did a few weeks ago, we had like 20-minute breaks and it just was not long enough. I'd say a minimum of 30. Yeah. Yeah, a a minimum. Yeah, totally agree. And, you Mm. know, add I reckon at least double whatever you would normally do yep so yeah 30 for morning afternoon tea 60 90 maybe preferably even 90 for lunch yep and Uh, give that instruction you know give the instruction turn your computer off walk go outside for a walk and maybe set a challenge one of my clients has who's a CEO of an uh, association has set a photography challenge for her staff throughout COVID while they were working at home and she said every day you know team slack channel I want you to share a photo of something outside and she'll say to them what that something had to be and it could either be a plant or it could be an animal or it could be a flower or it could be a footpath or it could be um, some sky and it had to and then she would get them to put a part of themselves in it or something <laughs> to prove that it was taken that day and not just from their camera roll three so, years ago. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that and it was fantastic she yeah. just had because she said, I know what my staff are like and I know that I really struggle to get some of them away from their desk, 
when they're in the office mm. and I can only assume it will be even more difficult to get them away from their desk when they're at home alone with no one there to talk to or to engage with or interact with. And so she said it was just a really successful little experiment that got people into at least 30 seconds of fresh air every day. Yeah. Yeah, really yeah like it's a good that. point about um, mm. I love that idea. That's brilliant. Mm. And it's sort of what we're going on with just into Cubis's workshop, you know, just oh, getting God. out, taking photos. Yeah, I can't wait for that either. But the screen time, I know, Mel, you talk about it a lot and just like I'm really struggling with screen time. My uh, my phone, I got the alert yesterday. It had five hours and 53 minutes, <gasps> my daily usage. That's up from three hours. Yeah. Mine went up from, mine used to be about five to six hours a day. And then I made huge efforts over a long period of time to get it to below two. And wow. first week of COVID, up to five every day. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm slowly getting it down. Oh, yeah. Last week, I think, was the first time in two months where my screen time went down compared to the previous week. So okay. I was pretty happy about that. I'll look for your tips. I know you've done a few podcast episodes about it. So yeah, so reach into um, those. One of the things that I found made the biggest difference was to take FaceTime off my phone. And I put it back on sporadically. So I was at the Gold Coast a couple of weeks ago for a week to write my book and I put FaceTime on there because I was out and about and taking photos when I went out for a walk and I wanted to share them. But then I found by the third day I was just randomly scrolling through it and not writing. And so I thought, okay, let's get rid of that again. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I do is I set a time frame of one hour a day for cumulative between LinkedIn, Instagram and Twitter on my phone oh, and cool. I get an okay. alert when I hit the hour. And if I'm wide awake in the middle of the night at 3 o'clock and I pick up my phone, then I can hit that one hour mark at 7 a.m. over breakfast. <laughs> oh. um, and you have the option of ignoring it or, you know, you can ignore it for the rest of the day or you can ignore it for 15 minutes or you can just keep it locked so there's flexibility and even though I normally just hit ignore for the rest of the day I'm aware that okay I've already been on my phone for at least an hour because it's only monitoring those three apps and that's made a difference as well thank you the third thing is put your phone in grayscale because Instagram is in grayscale Oh, my gosh, that's such a good tip. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I learned that one from Dr. Amantha Imba um, at the space conference last year, and she did a little workshop on getting back time for yourself, and that's one of the most useful tips. And she said yes, try it for 24 hours and see how you go. Because the even the notifications on Facebook would turn grey. You know, on LinkedIn it's like gray. a bright red. Yeah, that's brilliant. Everything's grey. Oh, and turn off all your notifications. That should be the first thing yeah, you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because then you don't get tempted to look. Yeah, keep the key ones on. I keep messages. I think I keep WhatsApp, text messages, calendars and Facebook Messenger. Yes. Spend some time with my phone because that really shocked me yesterday. That's terrible. Like that's it's, my gosh. I could have a book, Mel. But it's six so hours easy. a day. Yeah, I know. But it's so easy for the time to just build up. And mm. you know, the whole point of it of the app so that they suck you in and they keep you going back for more and for more and for more. Yeah. And when, as we know from reading that fabulous book by Near Isle, Indistractable, yeah, yeah. when you're ready to be distracted, it, the phone is a great tool for that. <laughs> yeah, that was a great book. Yeah, it was. Mm. It was highly recommended. I've recommended mm. it to so many people. Mm. So just a couple more questions. Speaking of books, are there any other books that you love that have really impacted you? Definitely Pivot by Jenny Blake, I'm going to say. 
yeah, I mean, her as a person has just really changed a lot of the trajectory of my career and what I've been doing. I was sort of, I'd moved back from Western Australia working for a corporate mining company and just felt like a fish out of water, directionless, asking myself some fundamental questions like, is this where I want to be? And I was really confused. And I guess my first thing was to hop onto Seek and find another opportunity. Like that's what we all do, right? We just hop straight on and look for opportunities. But I read a book and she's like, it's all about planting first, doing a lot of self-work on what gives you joy, what tasks fuel you, what type of people you like hanging out with, asking those questions. And what I realized was I wasn't actually using any of my strengths in that role, but I stayed at that company for a few years and turned it around and ended up having like the best time, the best opportunities flying all over the world basically from reading her book and realizing the problem isn't the job or the company, the problem is me. Mm. Yeah. I used to, whenever I was disillusioned at work, I used to always say to myself, what is it that is the problem here? And will changing to a new job remove the problem or will I just be taking the problem with me? Exactly, yeah. The majority of the time I just would have been taking the problem with me because the problem was in me and nothing to do with, well, some things to do with the company and the people I was working with, but the majority of the problem was me. Mm. And until you recognise that and can address that and can do the self-work and make the relevant changes to you, there's no point in uprooting yourself from one employer to another. Exactly. I mean, you could even sort of bring that parallel back to even like relationships. Oh, yes. You know, it's, yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's yeah. like, oh, there's, you know, I've got, you know, friends and it's like, well, what's the common denominator here? I don't want to say that to be brutal, but it's like everyone's looking for a fix, but the fix sometimes it is, well, most likely it's like looking in the mirror and going, doing that discovery work. And it takes time. It takes energy to do that. I remember one girlfriend, she um, said to me, I've kind of forgotten who I am because I've had a boyfriend continually since I was about 14 Mm. and I'd end up one relationship and I'd start another. And sometimes I'd start the next one before I'd even ended one. And so she ended a long-term relationship with this guy and then she, and she said to herself, I'm just not dating for at least six months. I just need a complete break so that I can work out who I am and what I want and what I love. So she did. And then she met this guy who was great and she married him because she said I was ready then. I had a much stronger sense of who I was and what I valued and what I wanted. And thinking about her now, it's always reminded me of that scene in um, The Runaway Bride with Julia Roberts and Richard Gere, where Mm. Richard Gere says to her, they're in a diner, and he says to her, how do you like your eggs? And she looked at him and she said, how do you like yours? And he said, no, no, how do you like yours? And she didn't know Mm. because she'd only ever said, I like the same way eggs cooked the same way as her previous boyfriend's. And so there's this beautiful scene where she's Mm. ordering eight different types of eggs, scrambled, poached, boiled, over easy, over hard, and omelettes and frittatas and trying to work out what she liked the most in how her eggs were cooked. I love that. Mm. That's a really poignant scene. Yeah, that is a great great scene. scene. Yeah, and I think so many people get so wrapped up in being people pleasers that they forget that they need to please themselves first. And I think that's, I'm having a lot of conversations with friends that have been made redundant as part of COVID. And a lot of them are like, I'm actually so relieved. I'm sleeping the best I've ever slept. I don't know why I was at that job for so long because they treated me like crap. And they're actually kind of wakening up because that's the thing. We don't have the like soul awakening and the reflection work. You've got to really like pull yourself out of the day to day, but we're so busy and we're doing all of the things that we don't actually mm-hmm. reflect. It's only when something painful happens or we're disrupted yeah. that we do that. Yeah. And I sometimes think as well, you don't realise 
what a bad situation you're in, whether it's work or a relationship or, you know, whatever other situation until you remove yourself from it. Mm. And I remember when I had my awful job in my 20s, my GP said to me, when you're in a really stressful situation, you just need to walk away from it. And we were talking about it in relation to Christmas dinner, which was a meal that I truly hated because of the stress and how fraught it always was. And he said, if you can't get out of going completely, then when it all gets to be too overwhelming, just make an excuse to leave the table. And I looked at him and went, like, like what? And he said, go to the toilet. Say you need to go to the toilet. <laughs> and I think that Christmas I went to the toilet like 12 times during Christmas. <laughs> and my, one of my aunts came up to me afterwards and said, do you have a UTI? <laughs> Are <you> okay. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> it's so funny. I love that he was so prescriptive in that. But, oh, it, but it works. And exactly, so exactly. Ever since then, whenever I've found myself in a situation where I feel like things are spinning out of control or I'm going to just completely lose it, I just walk away and I just mm-hmm. make a reason. And it's like, I've just got to get a drink or I've just got to go to the loo or I just have to, I've just thought of something I really urgently need to do and I've just taken a few steps and I've often gone back within 30 seconds but it's that circuit breaker that can mm. help things feel better more settled yeah, yeah. rather than just and, reacting yeah exactly and that can stop you from reacting in a way that you're going to regret as soon yeah. as you've reacted yes yeah, circuit breaker pattern breakers they're good yeah. I don't really have one I need to preempt one I'm sure something stressful is going to happen so I'm like what is that well hopefully it won't like for me yeah hopefully, hopefully it won't, it won't. And I think for me personally, I've, I know now what triggers stress in me mm. and I try really, really hard to not put myself in those situations in the first place. Mm. Or if I have to put myself in a situation that I know is going to be unnecessarily causing me anxiety, then I put myself into it with a plan to get myself out of it. Yeah. Sometimes I've it works, felt... sometimes it doesn't, but at yeah. least I've got that plan going in, which gives comfort. Mm, I kind of need to reflect on that because I don't know if this is the same with you, Mel, but I've had opportunities to work and because of COVID, things I would have said no to, I've been saying yes to. And then when it comes around, I like I knew I didn't want to do it, but I just accepted it because of that scarcity mindset. And then it's caused me unnecessary stress. And so now I'm just going to record it. I really need to like document it and go, this is how I felt. I knew it wasn't a bad idea, but I still said yes. And I regretted that. So I think it's about like, yeah, keeping that in front of mind. So when it comes along again, I know what the plan is to say, absolutely not, because it's not worth it. Yeah. When I was a media advisor in government, I was also a spokesperson in the government department I worked for, which was really unusual for anybody who wasn't a minister or director general to be a media spokesperson and we had a hard and fast rule that if a reporter rang and you were not allowed to talk to them other than you know niceties but you were never allowed to answer their questions without saying I have to put it in writing mm-hmm. and so that gave you time to think about a considered response. Oh I like that. And so when people say to me now ask me questions and I, my automatic response is yes or my automatic response is no quite often I'll say can you give me all the details Uh, preferably email them to me so that I can absorb them better because that's how I comprehend better in writing than in than verbally yeah can you send me all the details and then I can get and when you need me to make a decision by and then I can get back to you 
and I can either say yes or no. But that gives me that time to Mm. think rather than to leap into a response that I might regret. Thank you. I feel like this is a great coaching call for me now. Thank you so much for inviting me on your show to I'll coach. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. I love that. Get creating the time and space to respond yeah. rather than committing on the spot and, and having that as the default answer. Brilliant. That's that's such a cool and, tip. And I think also that most people don't expect you to respond immediately. So it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's work or whether it's personal or social, even if it's a social outing with somebody who I know drains my energy, Mm. then I'll just go back to them and say, let me get back to you about a time that will work for me so that I know that I can not put too many draining, exhausting things back to back. Yeah. It's about managing your energy. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the fundamental thing. In, like any like, workshop design and you're right. And, yeah, I've been definitely overcommitting, particularly with different time zones yeah. and, like, yeah. So I like that approach. And I think it's really easy to overcommit during stressful times like COVID yeah. because you don't know what's around the corner and so it's easy to say yes to everything or it's easy to say no to everything. There seems to not be a lot of a halfway point. Yeah, I definitely I book out my calendar but then it just seems like I'll just put things in over the top. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, I can understand that too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So I've just got one final question back again to books. Are you reading anything now? Oh, yeah. So I'm reading Million Dollar Consulting by Alan Weiss. Oh, excellent. And I spoke that? to Alan on my podcast the other week. So Alan Weiss, so I did this episode where I asked 22 facilitators and trainers, including yourself, Mel, to share, you know, what's one thing you wish you knew when you started your facilitation business? And my favourite author, who I'm now friends with, Michael Bungay-Stanya, he responded and said, you've got to read Million Dollar Consulting by Alan Weiss. He talks about value-based pricing. Read the book. You'll never go hungry again. So if Michael says that, you, you buy the book. So I bought the book and it has blown my mind. He's, he's, he's really blunt kind of brutal, but like he just has this amazing framework. And I think a lot of what the thought leaders actually did has been influenced by Alan Weiss. So yeah, I chatted to him last Friday, actually, and it was 6am my time, 4pm for him. Leanne at 6am without a coffee is not very sharp. And I was being shot at on the interview. And it was, it was amazing. Like, but I've never been speechless in an interview before. The stuff that he was saying was so profound. I couldn't think fast enough to articulate how I felt. That was amazing. I think that's the great thing about podcasting, isn't it, Mel? Like you get the chance to then just have these great conversations and explore things a bit deeper. Mm. But that book for me, I've read it on the Kindle. I've highlighted more sections that, I, that are left, then are left unhighlighted. <laughs> it's like 70% of highlights. So it's all gold screenshots of just, wow. yeah, he's amazing. I'll have to get a copy of it. Thanks yeah. for that tip. Yeah. Thanks for that tip. No so if people want to connect with you, where can they find you? Yeah, so they can listen to my podcast. They want to know how to create non-boring workshop experiences over at firsttimefacilitator.com or if I'd like to check out the work that I do, um, leannehughes.com. And I love accepting LinkedIn. I just love getting diversity in my news feed. So please reach out there. Yeah, those are the three main platforms. Into the show notes. And I can't emphasize enough, Leanne's podcast is absolutely fantastic. Every time I listen to an episode, I get loads of notes, take loads of notes. And I went for, I always listen to podcasts while out walking. And um, I've got a little circuit that I walk in the mornings, and there's two of them. There's one that goes for about 25 minutes, and one that's about 45. And I normally do the 25 minute circuit in the morning. And I came back one morning, and my husband said to me, 
did you take the longer walk today? And I said, no, I was listening to one of Leanne's podcasts and I had to keep stopping to type notes into my phone. <laughs> that is the ultimate compliment. Thank you so much. I like that. I love hearing that. I love how, I love people taking action and getting notes and just thinking of new ways to doing things. That's like the whole purpose behind it. So thank exactly. you for listening and for that being a guest so on the show. Oh, you're yeah. so welcome. It was so much fun. I'd love to come again. <laughs> yeah, of course. Okay. Thanks everyone for listening. It was Leanne Hughes and I'll be back again in a week or so with another episode. Thank you, Leanne. Really appreciate your time. I love chatting to you, Mel. Thank you. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, please hit subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And if you really liked what you heard, please leave me a review on iTunes or a recommendation on LinkedIn or both. The show notes are all on the website, melkettle.com forward slash podcast. And I'd love you to connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter. You'll find me at Mel Kettle. See you next time and stay connected. Bye.